Theorizing that podcast audiences wanted to listen to two grown men talk about time travel, Nate Bowden and Brian Martin started a show dedicated to Quantum Leap. Together, they explore NBC's revival of the franchise, starring Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett, and its connections to the original series. They also examine spin-offs, such as novels and comics, as well as some mirror images in the form of television shows and movies that share creative DNA with the adventures of Sam Beckett and Ben Song. And so Nate and Brian find themselves leaping from topic to topic, striving to make sense of it all, and hoping each time that their next episode will be the one that goes viral. Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and striving to put right what's wrong with this podcast, it's Brian Martin. It's me again, yes. Of course, what's wrong with this podcast tonight seems to be mostly on your end and technology related, so uh, (laughs) I can only do so much. Well, yeah, we've got a minor situation with our internet here at home, so we're on the phone. Recording audio should be fine, but yeah, let's see how long this bandwidth can hold out because i really want to talk about this episode nate needs one of them black market quantum chips which we haven't heard a lot about in quite or a while have we have we did i miss something no you didn't i haven't heard <laughs> a single word about it okay <laughs> but i have a but have, have we missed it that's i guess the <laughs> well, we haven't missed it at all that's for sure i wouldn't say i've been missing it i have a feeling we're going to be revisiting that very soon Well, we don't have a lot of time left to wrap that whole deal up. But yeah, we took a little break from that again this week. Following a lengthy break from the show itself. Fair enough. It does feel like it's been a while since we talked about, well, this show, but also, yeah, the fraudulent black market quantum chip. I can't remember the last time they actually tried something with that storyline. I think it was probably episode four. Yeah. I mean, I'm not complaining. I've all but forgotten about it. But yeah, you know what? It's really nice to have the show back. It really is. Yeah, I was very excited to see it this week. From the moment it started, I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I don't even know that I felt that way at all season one. Never. It it was just kind of like, okay, you know, like the podcast has been really fun, but I was genuinely pretty excited to have it come back. How long it sticks around is a matter of some conjecture. On the last episode we recorded, I said, you know, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night doesn't seem like the best time if you're feeling good about your show. Yeah. And, uh... It's really eh. strange, though, because I had no inkling that it was in any kind of trouble. You know, the last time we had really examined it, you said that the ratings were pretty good. And we assumed that streaming numbers were pretty good. I expected it to get a season three for sure, and now there's rumblings on the interwebs that that may not be the case. What is good? I don't know. What do good ratings even look like? And how much does Peacock have to do with it? And streaming numbers. And Right. It would be surprising to me if we were to get the axe at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there is a write-in campaign currently happening. Yeah. You mentioned that to me. I guess we could put that in the episode description, maybe. I don't know. How do these things work? Is there a specific link to a specific write-in campaign, or is it just Caitlin Bassett out there saying, hey, it's up to you, fans? In the subreddit this week, there was a post 
with pertinent details on it in terms of where to address your letters. There was a phone number, which I assume goes straight to either Don Belisario or uh, (laughs) Johnny Peacock. Yeah, straight to the source. Uh, No, no, no. Kenneth Parcell. If the end of 30 Rock is (laughs) Kenneth Parcell now runs. Well, I suspect he has more power over there than Don Belisario does at this point. Oh, sure. Don Belisario can't have too much to do with this particular show. And I doubt Don Belisario is to Quantum Leap as Stan Lee was to Marvel for the last 30 years of his life. And that's being generous. (laughs) Wait, generous to who? (laughs) Uh, Generous to Stan. Okay. It's just a name we slap on things. Thanks to the listeners sticking by us as we had this little hiatus. You know, we did some fun stuff. We did the Christmas episode and that wonderful movie last week. Oh, man, yeah. (laughs) Time Traveler's Wife, which in retrospect this week, I'm really glad we watched that. I think watching that and then watching this week's episode of Quantum Leap may have made this week even better. (laughs) It could be. If you're going to weigh the two against each other, for sure. Oh, my goodness. This week goes to a very interesting place. So uh, It really I, I, does. I uh, suppose we should get right to it here. This week's episode is called Off the Cuff, which is a really amusing play on words, as you come to learn very quickly <laughs> in this episode. Uh, it's written by Alex Berger, directed by Joe Menendez. Alex Berger. Is that name on the cork board? I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. Do I need Let's to do pull a quick up my, search uh, here? Pretty sure I have the corkboard analog, even though I'm not on the internet here. Let's see. Alex Berger. Now he did work as a producer on Blind Spot, where a lot of these guys came from, right? Oh, he that's is Executive true. producer on Quantum Leap. According to my tally and corkboard here, he was the writer of The Friendly Skies. Oh, which was a passable, I think, is where we came down on that one. Remember, that was the episode that had my favorite leap in. Yes, that's true. It had a few things going for it, that one did. It was kind of a bland way to be a penultimate episode. Mm -hmm. It was late in the season, didn't offer a whole lot, and it was just kind of a one-off episode. This one, by comparison, only feels like a one-off for about half of the episode. That's a fair assessment, but I derailed you a little bit. I think you were on a roll leading us I into the... Call it, I wouldn't not call it a roll. <laughs> Just like butter. <laughs> <laughs> the year is 1970, the day, April 10th. And before I go any further, I just want to say that the way we find out the date in this episode is clever and fun. <laughs> a newspaper blows up against the window of a phone booth. Yep. And Ben sees the date there. Classy. Uh, yeah, that's, Classy television. That's <laughs> Ben has leaped into Nick Peterson, a chain-smoking ex-New York cop who is presently employed by Car Bail Bonds. He is a bounty hunter. Now, how many episodes of this show have there been, Nate? Well, what? This is nine for this season. So there were 18 episodes in season one, right? Yeah. Followed by nine here. So So we are at 27. In 27 episodes, Ben has been a bounty hunter on two occasions. Yeah. And Sam was a bounty hunter once or twice, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I'm not complaining, though. (laughs) Anything I might feel about that evaporates very quickly. Ben is Nick Peterson. Nick is currently in custody of a man named Kevin Zatt, portrayed by David Clayton Rogers, or possibly Paul Rudd. Yeah, oh, right? He's like great value Paul Rudd, is is what (laughs) this guy is. Paul Rudd. Yeah, no, I absolutely thought that myself. I, Paul I Rudd in a role that seems to have been written for Sean William Scott. 
that's that's the way I feel about this guy. And you're not um, wrong. That's pretty good. He's a crooked mob attorney who has been obviously hunted down by Nick Peterson and is being taken back to the bail bonds. In the original history, he escaped and was murdered by some, what do I call him? ne'er-do-wells <laughs> <laughs> that he used to work for. Ben is there to, as he observes, get Kevin to jail. <laughs> yeah. Right? It seems like he's usually there it's... to help people more than that, right? Yeah, it's a little and unclear this, to begin with. As they usually are, and definitely we find out more information about Kevin's history, who he is, why he's got this always look out for number one kind of attitude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is, suffice to say, all a front, and it's not long before we meet his family and we find out, whoa, there are some deeper things going on here, both with Kevin and with Ben. Yeah, yeah. Now, I really liked this guy. Being the poor man's <laughs> Paul Rudd or not, I don't know what he may be from, but he was really enjoyable on screen. I like that character a lot. Now, I know we've talked a lot about how wonderful the chemistry between Ben and Hannah has been this season. Mm -hmm. But I never expected to get another contender for favorite Quantum Leap couple this season (laughs) in an episode (laughs) where Nick and Kevin were handcuffed to each other. Ben and this guy Kevin have such great banter back and forth from the word go. Yeah. Like, this episode starts with Ben leaping into the driver's seat of a moving vehicle while one hand is handcuffed to a person sitting in the passenger seat. And they throw around a lot. Oh, the accelerator did this and the accelerator did that. The accelerator's a fucking asshole. Yeah, seriously. Because this is the least safe circumstance I could think of for someone who just... Yeah, but then it's much ado about nothing, really. I mean, it's not like he freaks out immediately. He's just kind of chill about it. So, I mean, maybe you get used to leaping into places. Maybe. 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 You get a great line early on, because Ben's just driving. He doesn't know where he's going. And Kevin says, so you're definitely lost. And Ben's like, eh, maybe a little. You know, because it's cute. Because, yes, he's lost. He's just bouncing through time. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) the two of these guys... From the outset, such great dialogue, great delivery. Right. Loved it. I absolutely loved this guy. My first thought in seeing them handcuffed together, I thought maybe they'd be doing like a gender bend on that one where Sam was handcuffed to a woman at the beginning. Uh He was a bounty hunter in that episode, taking her to justice, if I remember Uh, correctly. Yep. And ended up having to protect her from the mob. Right? Very similar. And Very it's a, similar. One of the more famous images in the opening title crawl of that series. She tries to run and he gets his face smashed against the phone booth. Yes. Maybe you felt something different, but at the beginning of this episode, I assumed that it would be a Hannah episode, but I began to believe that Oh, well, I guess they're kind of putting her on the back burner for an episode because it was very much just I know this comes with some bad uh it seems these days maybe you don't bring up Dukes of Hazard too often. <laughs> uh, it's an unfortunate circumstance that, culturally speaking, it's it's not sure what it was. But I grew up with that show and uh, very much a Dukes of Hazard feel when it opened. Yeah. Smokey and the Bandit, Dukes of Hazard, two muscle cars racing through some old country roads, chasing each other down because one of these mob bosses 
shows up. And what are they driving? They're driving a Ford Mustang, right? Mustang. They're driving, driving a Mustang. They're driving a Ford Mustang, chasing each other, guns being fired. And I just expected somebody to jump on the roof of the other car. And, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was yeah. a good, fun, like, it brought a smile to my face. It was. Immediately. Yeah, glad you brought that up. I, I did want to talk about that car chase because yeah. while I was sitting there watching the car chase, which is great, it's a great TV car chase. It is. Like I said, it hearkened back. Yes. It does what it should. It does exactly what it should as an episode that takes place in the 70s, right? Yeah, right. Remember, this whole series opened with a car chase? And oh, I kept yeah. thinking, like... The van. This is landing for me. And that one did not land for me. And I understand that they are in different parts of the narrative of their respective episodes. And we've got a lot more time with Ben at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think in that pilot, all we really wanted to do was find out who these people are. Yeah. Yeah. And not really have to just immediately start with a car chase. But it had a way different feel. Much different setting. Something about a getaway van. Yeah, it's it was different a getaway than van. like a leather jacket and a muscle car, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. But, it was uh, just interesting to me. And I guess I was sitting there thinking of, wow, this show has come a long way for me. And really being able to bookend those two car chases was kind of the way I was rationalizing that in my yeah, head. Yeah, I'll, like, I'll be honest. It didn't really occur to me. But yeah, this one was definitely working for me. I really was digging the vibe that it was putting out early on and i had kind of settled into the idea that this was the type of episode we were going to have kind of a smoky and the bandit style show and it does turn kind of on a dime yeah as ben is trying to get kevin from trenton new jersey to new york city we get little nuggets of kevin's backstory we come to understand that he was a foster kid in high school, there was a prestigious scholarship awarded to, like, the valedictorian his senior year. Right. That he worked hard to earn, only to have it stolen from him at the last minute. And it yeah. made him question, what has this universe ever done for me? That sort of thing. And we came around to that story, too. I feel like the dialogue was organic enough that it didn't feel hurried Nothing. No reveal in this episode, whether it's somebody revealing something personally or... The big reveal that happens halfway through feels just plugged in. I agree. This is some of the best writing this show has had. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. You know, we're on the same wavelength here. This is way up there on the list for me. Yeah, okay. I mean, I think this is over Love Pyramid, Sand Spy, Cairo episode. (laughs) Sand Spy. (laughs) I don't remember. I was watching this and I was like, I don't remember where I ranked anything anymore. But the last episode that felt like this to me in terms of what they were trying to go for aesthetically was Lonely Hearts Club. Yeah, you like that one a lot. Which I did like. This is like 10 times better than that episode. I would agree with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I know you weren't a big fan of that, but for even for me. I mean, me, I didn't hate it, but it, it wasn't. This was so much better than that. Really, really felt it this week. Some of the great dialogue moments. Kevin has. I loved when he's ranting about everyone hates lawyers. I hate lawyers. <laughs> and he doesn't want to go to prison because of the thread count on prison bedsheets. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to convince Ben that he's innocent and then tries to bribe him with diamonds. <laughs> and and Ben says, you just said you were innocent. He says, I'm a criminal. I lied. <laughs> just 
wonderful but, moments these and two instantly likable yeah yeah we get yeah. that he's a kind of a scumbag but he's instantly likable you know and that's why the paul rudd thing clicked aside from physically resembling paul rudd well oh, yeah uh, yeah whether this guy's a good guy or a bad guy i'm on his team i like this guy the way he's conducting himself he's a very funny affable person all the life philosophy stuff he's writing a book on radical selfishness <laughs> and he keeps referring to that throughout the episode yeah in a way that kind of reminds me of you remember in solo where like lando's just sitting on the millennium falcon narrating chapters of the calrissian chronicles <laughs> into a recording device <laughs> yeah reminds me of that sort of thing Going back to the pilot the way you did, somehow they had enough time to develop this character. And I, we haven't gotten to the fact that, you know, the back half of this episode takes another turn and becomes a whole other episode. But there's enough time spent with this Kevin character that you actually do kind of know him and care about him, which is not yes. something that they've accomplished with a lot of characters on this show. Yeah. Kevin um, gets done much better acts. this they've done much better this season on a whole I don't know if it's the actor or the writing or some combination of the two but we like this guy right away and can already care about okay why has Ben there to help him and yeah. we want to see I, that happen <laughs> I think it's the two things you mentioned but I also think it's knowing where to spend your time in an economical way in 42 minutes yeah because we once again, have an episode that does not dwell on 2026 very much. Not at all. You get little snippets here and there. Ian and Jen have, I think, a relatively fun gossipy exchange where they just sort of refresh everybody on what just happened with Addison in terms of thinking she was going to get, you know, proposed to and then having that kind of pulled out from under her. What I called the Ian-Jen gossip drop was actually just the right portion size <laughs> this week yeah as in enough to blink and miss it yeah yeah <laughs> just sort of remind you of what you saw however many weeks ago in the last episode aired well they have what like two somewhat lengthy cutaways to 2026 in this moment that we're talking about they're examining the data that was pulled from the drive at the end of last episode yes we leave kevin and, and ben being chased by some ne'er-do-wells as you call them. Yeah, we'll uh, call them enforcers for the sake of variety. Yeah, that's good. Enforcers uh, working for the mob. They're kind of on the run, and we cut back in a lull moment to have them examining whatever lines of code might code. have been on this thing. Just uh, data from that old DARPA project that Tom ran across in the previous episode. Right, and they're all just And kind Tom of... says that the boys in D.C. want them to prioritize this. Right. Which I thought was interesting. It's like, so everybody's just good with the project. Everybody yeah. just wants to get Ben home now. I go, all right. Well, it's that deep state, right? That's right. <laughs> it's all those people that are going to send Martinez in a few years. That's true. That's true. But yeah, they're all just kind of hovering around Ian while they try to crack this code. And he's like, you know. I'd do better without could... 11 eyes on me right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, this could take months. <laughs> It's not going to help to just stand here. It's another kind of techno babble moment. They just use code, lines of code as the translation yeah. of science fiction. You know, I mean, we're in what, 30 years into the internet now? At least. Most television audiences, and I will happily include myself in that, have no idea how the magic internet works. <laughs> so <laughs> you just throw something like that out there. It's going to take me months to go through this data. 
or uh, the 24-1, open a socket. Like, I don't know what any of this shit means. Or it sounds just good that, to me. Even just the chalkboard in the apocalypse at the end of season one, you know, oh, it's sure. like it's, yeah. just, it's just some big mathematical equation that nobody understands. But it you doesn't know, have it's to all mean related anything. to time travel. And I know we were talking about early on in this episode, is there enough viewership to warrant a third season of this show? What I can tell you is the viewership's low enough that somebody hasn't paused it and tried to suss out that <laughs> chalkboard. So there are fans, but there's not enough of them to have those crazy obsessive mathematicians yeah, <laughs> watching it. That'll come in a few years. After yeah. the show's off the air, that's when people will really start to... Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> but yeah, a little bit of movement on that storyline. Yeah, there's not a lot of a movement on the 2026 stuff otherwise, other than a big reveal at the very end. But Kevin and Ben continue hanging out, and while Kevin does sort of start to reveal things about himself, he starts to kind of pull some information out of Ben as well. Kevin mentions that as he's trying to bribe Ben into letting him go, he says right. he can help him get back at his ex. And Ben says, why do you think I have an ex? And there was something about his ring finger. Yeah, he had a gave tan line. He had like a tan line where there used to be a ring. Yeah, exactly. And Ben starts kind of talking about his own current experience he said he has a thing where he pushes away the people he cares about most plus i'm on the road a lot which is <laughs> yeah. which is great and to that kevin says so there's another guy <laughs> yeah he susses it out pretty quick ben right. says that addison deserves to have someone who's there for her more of that him coming to terms with where addison's at in her life right and she's there to overhear it yeah Addison yeah. definitely gets some of that in this episode, too, where she's wrestling with how quickly everything changed for her after waiting so, so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything kind of went in slow motion, and now everything sped up in the span of a day where Ben falls in love and her new beau is about to ask her to marry him while also revealing that, oh, I might be able to get your ex-boyfriend home now. And right. It's, it's it's a lot for her to deal with. It is with. a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, and, for sure. And Caitlin Bassett is once again very, very good in this episode. So anybody out there who's a Caitlin Bassett hater, you will not hear it from me. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm surprised there'd be any, honestly. She's quite good. She's and, got very emotive eyes. And her eyes do a lot of work in this week's episode, I think. She's not given a whole lot of material. I know she's got a couple of scenes, but they feel very small as compared to the rest of the story. It's definitely plot B, so she doesn't get quite as much as Ben does, but every week she does the most with what she's given. Yes, and Magic observes that she's been thrown more curveballs than most people get in a lifetime, right. let alone a few months, and kind of puts it into perspective. Thinking about how quickly, quote-unquote, she moved on from Ben, nah, she doesn't sound like she really did. Yeah. She lived her life and then suddenly that life tried to reestablish itself. And it's, uh, as the kids say, a mindfuck. Three years, I feel like I'm on record as having said that seems really, really short. But yeah, when you yeah. weigh it against, she's been with Tom for eight months, and Ben has been on four dates, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Four dates of varying datiness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of them involved Nazis. <laughs> Which always deserves a callback. <laughs> but yeah, three years plus again, it's TV time. 
so spend a summer away from the television show and then you're in season two and that feels like forever ago even if narratively speaking it's only been a couple of months yeah or a couple of weeks or yeah absolutely. You know, what have you just kind of the way time works in television so if addison is a b plot then our gal hannah carson is a c plot for much of this episode ben when he realizes he's in new jersey near princeton in the 70s i should look my girlfriend up it's been nine years since they last saw each other in this episode mm -hmm. and so while he is on the phone with elena carr who runs the bail bond service mm -hmm. he asks her can you look up a hannah carson and she's like, yeah, maybe I could do that for you. And he checks in with her periodically throughout the episode, and she's not really able to find anything. Nate, when she came back and said, yeah, I haven't been able to find anything the first time, what did you think? Well, I was actually thinking the second time Ben brought it up, I kind of wished that hadn't been there at all. Okay. Like, the way it left off the first time led me to believe she wasn't really going to look this person up. Not until the end of the episode. Yeah, it seemed like this was going to be maybe a thing we get something about at the very end of the episode. Yeah, maybe. But the character herself, Elena Carr, she just sort of seemed to brush it off. Like, yeah, I'm not going to look that person up. And mm -hmm. I didn't expect it to come back up. I felt like it was just a drop in the bucket. Like, hey, remember this character's out there, and this is where Ben's head is at, but sure, let's move sure. on with our Smokey and the Bandit. Yes. That's honestly what I truly believed the episode was going to be, and I was fine with it. I was ready to give them a break. I definitely but. felt that way, especially after we saw the real strong dynamic between these two characters in that first couple of minutes. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe this is not a Hannah episode at all, and maybe... Mm -hmm. maybe this is just going to be what he does in each episode as he tries to find her. And the second time she's brought up when Elena says she hasn't had any luck looking her up, the first thing I thought is her name's not Hannah Carson anymore. Oh, well, you're sharper than me. You're looking up the wrong person. Right. Right. I did not think we were going to get a payoff for that in this episode. Certainly not in the way that we got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, just incredible, incredible job they did making us feel as though we were Ben in that moment that she walks through the door. Like, uh, like it's one thing to have your character have a moment like that. It's another to have the audience share that precise experience with that character. And yeah. even more than the Egypt episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At this point in the episode, you're not expecting it at all. <laughs> yeah, well, like, yeah. Maybe I'm crazy, fair, maybe I'm naive, but I didn't expect it at all. No, 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 no. I was right there with you. When she walked through the door, I was genuinely shocked. You're exactly right. Just like Ben, it was like, oh, my God. And to be fair, with regards to the Cairo episode, we already knew that she was in that. That's also so true. We if knew we it didn't was know from outside the narrative of television, it might have felt different. So Eliza Taylor was credited at the beginning of the episode. Okay. I didn't catch that. Yeah. But I started to think, like, maybe she was just there in the cast because she's part of the cast. Or it was in a flashback somewhere or something. Maybe. Or, like, how Ernie Hudson is in the cast even in the weeks where he's not on the show. <laughs> you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Sure. Like, maybe it's that sort of thing. And I started to be like, okay, all right, fine. Well, I'm, I'm in this episode. I love what's happening. Yeah. So to just sort of clarify what's happening. Yeah, I Kevin think we need makes, to take a step back. Kevin makes some comments to Ben throughout about how he has a nephew. And obviously this is a relationship that matters to him, despite his cold, everybody for themselves kind of exterior. Mm -hmm. Ben has, <laughs> after both 
narrowly escaping the Mustang before it explodes and jumping off of a bus, Butch mm-hmm. and Sundance style. It was like, because that jump, even though it's not nearly as long as the cliff that Butch and Sundance had to jump, it's treated with the same sort of comedic effect, I think. Yeah, like, here um, we go. Ben lands on the same shoulder twice. And this this is one of my favorite Addison moments of the episode. He's wincing, his arms in pain, and Addison says that you're going to need to get that looked at because Ziggy says there's like a 100% chance that Nick's going to lose his arm now yeah, because Nick's of an infection that forms, which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Like, stop being so careless with your host. <laughs> but fortunately, Kevin knows a doctor nearby. They're close to Princeton. And they go out there to where his brother lives. Yeah, like he a sees his nephew farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> to be fair, they're in the same part of the country where my aunt-in-law lives. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's like that. <laughs> this is just a house out in it's acres just, it's and just, acres of land. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. So yeah. they go in and then they have great dialogue. We meet his brother, Josh. And his nephew. Who is the doctor. And his nephew, Jeffrey. Both of them are delightful. Josh gives Ben some more insight about Kevin, about their life as foster brothers. Right. That they bounced around at homes together. And they were on their own when they were 12. He makes a Leave it to Beaver analogy, where Kevin is (laughs) Eddie Haskell. And we get the wonderful line, Eddie Haskell doesn't age well. (laughs) (laughs) because of course not eddie haskell never cleans up his act that's why he's an eddie haskell which leaves this guy to be the beeve yes of course (laughs) and that's that's how we found out that josh is the person who received the scholarship and the reason that kevin lost it was because he was stealing from the school's petty cash and he got caught right but the implication is that he was doing it on purpose and threw the valedictorian away in favor of his brother. Right. His brother never knew that. Yes. And even Kevin doesn't admit it. You have to figure that out kind of on your own. Yes. Which is really classy. Really very clever from a writing standpoint. Again, it shows how far this show has come. Like, I can't imagine this episode existing in season one, almost. No, you're so right. Talk about show don't tell. There would have been a dialogue scene that spelled out exactly what had transpired between these two foster brothers. Exactly. Because we don't have that much time. Um, Here's an (laughs) exposition dump. Care about this, please. Isn't this touching? (laughs) Yeah. But in reality, you know, you just kind of get to know these people and then discover what happened between them. You get the emphasis that you're really looking for as a writer. Yes. It's done very, very well, especially given the fact that there's a whole other aspect of this show as Hannah shows up. Suddenly we're worried about something completely different, but mm-hmm. this other story, I don't want to say it was wrapped up satisfactorily at that point. What Ben is there to achieve starts to come into focus, and it is still coming into focus as Hannah enters. We're still trying to figure out how all these pieces fit together, mm-hmm. and Hannah's presence... That's what makes it so neat to me. She plays a vital role in the success of The Leap once again. But you're completely focused on something else at the moment she walks in. In Nomad, once Hannah comes in, it's all about Ben and Hannah. And the other stuff going on becomes the B-plot. And we're okay with that because we love Ben and Hannah. This episode 
Ben and Hannah remain the B plot or the C plot or however you want to, which, whichever level it's on, the A plot remains Kevin and succeeding in the leap. And maybe, I don't know. I, I don't think, cause we only get a few scenes with Ben and Hannah kind of alone together. And then we see them working together in the interest of succeeding in the leap. And Kevin remains there the whole time, which is another thing I really love. He may be in the room, but it's entirely revolving around Ben and Hannah. Okay, that's fair. Once she shows up, those are the two that are playing off of each other. And Kevin is relegated to the side. There's multiple moments where they're, you know, are you sure you two don't know each other? You know, like, yes, are you sure yeah. you guys, you know. And... The way he says it, you sure you don't know each other from before? <laughs> <laughs> and it's the from before thing like what before are you talking yeah, about before yeah exactly kevin's got so much dialogue where he sounds like a goddamn 10 year old <laughs> yeah it's so yeah. great i get what you're saying though i, I can i can see i that. do feel like once hannah is in the room it's about the two of them but the two of them have a goal that is still related to what was happening prior so it's not like that thread is just dropped but it definitely shifts towards oh, okay, there's this other facet of our story now. Yeah. The relationship of these two characters. That relationship does evolve in the scenes yeah. that they have together quite a bit. I don't think that we even really revealed the fact that as she comes in, she is the wife to the brother. Yeah, Josh's wife is Hannah and the mother of Jeffrey. What? Yeah. I, uh... Did we ever expect that she would be a married woman with a child in this episode no like at any point really again i thought i thought after after we got that second call with elena in this episode where she said she couldn't find her i was like okay well so maybe she is married maybe her name is not the same anymore well you're a little more astute than i am because i really just saw that as (laughs) well you know i I really just saw that as like hey audience don't worry about this because we're not bringing her in Okay. I, that's how I took that. She's not finding anything because we're not going to see her this episode. Okay. It's nice that that's where his head is at. But so it was kind of a double whammy for me. And then to, I never really expected to see Hannah in the role of, of a mother, but kudos to them for throwing that curveball at me, you know? And this is again, way better than the time traveler's wife. <laughs> like, like what we're dealing with here is a natural place to take the story that at this stage in Ben's story feels totally unexpected, right? Because everything on this show so far, because we're seeing it from Ben's perspective, has made us feel like somehow these two are intertwined, destined to be together. So the last thing we're expecting is for Hannah to have gotten married. Something sure. as simple and pedestrian yeah, exactly. as that. Yeah, exactly. Then you step back and it's like, one, of course she will. And two, of course the writers want to discuss this. Right. Right. Of course this is something we're going to bring up and contend with and deal with. And why not do it when the audience is least expected? Yeah. You know? I hate to think of a story in these terms, but given the fact that we've only got, what, four episodes left or three in a two hour, I don't think we're going to see that her out of sequence but we're gonna see her life continue to 
progress. Uh, progress. Right? Yeah. There are going you know, to continue gonna... to be developments. Right. It, we already feel like we think we things. know what's coming next <laughs> by you know, the end of this episode. You know that everything's working in this story because when I found out that she was married with a child, I kind of felt punched in the gut. Yes. I was like, oh, this ben, sucks. Ben has spent so much of the episode talking up his burgeoning love for Hannah right. to Kevin. Right. And it leads to this great emotional climax at the dinner table where Kevin starts talking about, oh, yeah, Ben, tell her about the girlfriend oh, that you've man. got. And yeah, they, 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 the last time they saw each other, they, they had a date in Cairo. And she looks at him and he looks at her. And it's the first time she realizes, fuck you, that's you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... It it's was so good. It really is. It's so good. I, I felt that gut punch. And around that time, as they were doing that with this story, I was thinking, oh, man, I don't want it to dwindle away like he has to give her up because her life continued like already. You know, like I don't I don't want this. But then I was thinking, good on you, show for mm -hmm. making me feel this. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> Good for you not writing exactly what I want to see. And, uh, what, and instead writing something. What I want? Yeah, yeah, writing something that's that's sharp and interesting and kind of puts you through the ringer a little bit. Because if you really do care about the two of them and the two of them being together, here's the biggest of obstacles to that. The wall that says you thought this was happening, but it's not. Right. <laughs> you know? And you're just like, oh, my God. But of course that's what she would do. It's been nine years, right? Yeah. I mean. You can't just wait around. Addison, it took three years. Right. People are people on this show, whether they are written like television characters or not. Yeah. There's a certain degree to which you have to set realistic expectations. What was and it? How long was it that she waited the first go round, though? Six years? It had been six it, years she'd I been thinking? I think thinking? it had been six years. Yeah. Yeah. And because we she's made that young, whole joke. <laughs> she's young and naive. It's fun and exciting. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. All right. To bring up Time Traveler's Wife once again. Yeah. No, do it. The Nazi episodes when she found out about Ben. Yes. The Cairo episode would be the one where she waited like six years. Right. And had been going up to people and asking them. That level of just wonder and this intoxicated fascination I was thinking about Ben as her unicorn. Yeah. Like, I was thinking, is she just enamored with the magic of him? It's the sort of thing that Rachel McAdams' character never really grew out of. Exactly. In Time Traveler's Wife, right? Exactly, yeah. And the way this season of Quantum Leap is structured, it gives Hannah a chance to grow and to mature into adulthood fully. Mm -hmm. And she comes to realize, this isn't the way I can conduct myself. I can't just wait around forever. Right. Even though she admits immediately that she believes it's possible to love more than one person. And I mean, this is 1970. We're on the end of the feminist revolution here. I, I get it. You know, hey. Yeah. But. Uh, but does she really she, believe that? She still has <laughs> strong feelings for Ben, obviously. And this obviously. is still something that's exciting and thrilling for her. And you can tell immediately she is so happy to be back in this 
<laughs> when she tells her family to go hide upstairs while she takes care of securing the house. Yeah. With Nick, the guy that they just met. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> yeah. She's got a great line. <laughs> Once they get out on the porch, Ben goes outside. He's excused himself from the dinner table. Hannah follows him out. And she's like, were you just not going to tell me? No, I didn't know what I was going to say. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do. There's no manual here. It's like, I am smitten with you, lady. And here you're like a MILF now. (laughs) But Hannah says, if you're here, someone's in trouble. Don't tell me there's more Nazis in New Jersey. (laughs) Yeah, good callback. We'll always have Nazis. (laughs) They, (laughs) They go back inside because Kevin and Josh are arguing. And the first thing you hear is Josh just lambasting his brother, saying, you are not a nationally ranked marksman. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a great, like, who the, what are you arguing about? (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, what is wrong with you two? Only brothers would argue about such a silly thing. And then, to prove that he's right... Speaking of marksmen, we completely glossed over the Red Rider BB I wanted to bring that up, because it's obvious that Berger is a fan of Christmas Story because it's Chekhov's Red Rider BB gun because it becomes <laughs> integral to the plot it in does. the final act of this episode. It's pretty good. But Kevin and Josh leave the room arguing about this gun and Hannah says, I know you're here to help Kevin, but we may not get another chance to talk. And Ben says, I feel bad leaving them alone with a weapon. And Hannah says, it's non-lethal. Come on. <laughs> 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 Which is great because the implication is who cares if they get shot with a BB? <laughs> Yeah, She's so tired of these two. But they do get a little moment together. We're taught that love is finite, but it's not. Look at the world the same way you look at time. And she also, and I think this is important, shows that she has been building this hydroelectric turbine that's powering their house with renewable energy. She built it with her seven-year-old son, Jeffrey. Is he seven? He's seven in this episode. Oh, okay. So dispel any assumption that he might be Ben's son. He cannot be Ben's son if he's only (laughs) seven years old. But I think Jeffrey is going to end up being the person who designed the quantum chip. Yeah, the employer. Yes, because the name would be unfamiliar to Project Quantum Leap until it's not anymore, right? And if Jeffrey is seven in 1970... He'd be in his 60s in 2026. So I'm feeling Jeffrey's the one to watch here. Right. He's either the employer or the one that actually wrote the code on the DARPA project. That that could be true also. I feel like it was probably Hannah, but we find out in this episode that Hannah is now the chair of the, what, physics department? Yeah. Yeah. At Princeton. It's good for her, right? Yeah, and Ben, he's so happy for where she is while also being, like we were, a little deflated that she's had to move on. But he obviously cares enough about her to be proud of what she's accomplished and where she is and glad she's happy. I mean, it's just so good. <laughs> it's it's so good. Coming off of Time Traveler's Wife and then hitting this just made this episode so much better. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It feels like they had a plan. Maybe you're not going to meet out a sequence. Of course, we don't know that yet. No, we don't. In fact, I think the next episode takes place before this one. So if Hannah shows up in any capacity, she would have to be younger. We'll see. But their interplay in this episode, outside of their talking about 
whether love is finite. Just their banter and they're going back to being sciency together. Yes. Nerdy and sciency about taking down the bad guys that are about to raid the house. Do you remember when we watched the Doctor Who special before mm-hmm. Christmas? And there's the scene with Donna and the Doctor kind of hastily trying to save things at the last minute, throwing switches, just dashing around and, uh-huh. and, and reuniting like old friends again. Sure. That's what this felt like. They're running around trying to secure the house, shooting things back and forth at each other as they bolt around the, the I can uh, see that. basement. It's a similar feeling. You know. I can see that. This was more effective to me, obviously. Because <laughs> you have because a history I, with these characters. Yeah, I didn't now. have any. Yeah, I have a history with these two. I didn't have any kind of history with the uh, Doctor Who stuff, and it just kind of seemed haphazard to me in that regard. But oh, it's always know, like that. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> exactly. I didn't have the frame of reference, so this one's also not about just punching a bunch of buttons and flipping magic switches. This right. is about home aloning their house. <laughs> That's right. Home alone. I said, oh, man, they're going to home alone the joint. Ian discovers that the hitman that had tracked them on the bus posted bail that had been paid for by Nick's boss, Elena Carr. And we find out that Elena is the one that's actually coming after Kevin's diamonds, which he's hidden in all of the stuff bears he's bought for Jeffrey over the years. Right. Right. Um. Pretty, pretty great, and and then so we've got uh, some potentially wet bandits descending <laughs> on the house to take those diamonds, and Hannah and Ben come up with this plan to flood the basement and electrocute the floor. Yeah, <laughs> which is yep, uh, pretty great. Yeah, that like I said, being sciency together, finishing each other's sentences, yes. being on the same wavelength, recognizing each other as equals and partners in doing it. That was the kind of interplay that I was kind of missing in Love Pyramid. What was it really called? You said uh, <laughs> Nomad. Nomad, right. Nomad. <laughs> I like Love Pyramid better. But Addison uh, shows up. Hannah's I mean, like, that, ooh, is that Addison? Uh, oh, is that your hologram? And yeah. Kevin, Kevin is just looking around confused. You two know each other from before? Yeah. Yeah, it is so much fun, all caps, to see these two interact. Yeah. And it's what I was missing in that other episode was how are they really connected outside of you're a magical hero that I've smitten with because you're something new and different that I never knew. Like, you know how you can love the idea of someone? Yeah. It feels like maybe she loved the idea of the mystical time traveler or whatever. Right, like, Whereas, like Rachel McAdams in the time travelers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Where it's all very surface level. There's no moment in that movie where you connect those two as having any kind of similar interest or what's their relationship built on. Their relationship is entirely circumstantial. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're like, together because, well, I guess we've got to be. <laughs> Right. It, yes. There's a little bit of that in Love Pyramid where it's just, okay, they're on an adventure together, but how do they even really know each other? What do they even really like about each other? And this episode reminds us that he was interested in her succeeding with her mind in a time when women weren't allowed to do that. Yes. In the same way that men were. Yeah. And... They have a shared love of the magic of science. And you get to see a little bit more of that in this episode 
that's why these two get along so well. Yes. This is why they really like each other. Look how similar they are. And they're kind of built for each other. Maybe my favorite line between the two of them, when they're in the basement, Ben says, this wasn't how I pictured our fourth date. And Hannah says, eh, I've had worse. (laughs) Uh, Great little moment there. That is like the defining scene for these two. It's the scene that just says it all. When he said that, it kind of perked me up a little bit to say, oh, he's already considering this a fourth date, even though she's a married woman. Right. But and so is she. So, you, so, so, you're, <laughs> yeah, so you're expecting, you know, what's so great is that you got the gut punch that maybe they're not going to be together. And then it kind of moves on and it gives you time to sort of deal with that and understand their current relationship. And she never really stopped thinking about him or lo- loving him, supposedly. And you get to this place where you're like, okay, so this is where these two characters are now. A mutual caring and love for each other, but hey, we're not going to be together. Right. And you've come to understand that. You hate the writer for putting us in that place. In the best way. In the best way. And then by the end, the door opens again. Yes. Yeah. The door opens back up at the end of the episode. When Addison reveals... And another gut punch. Like, it's a real gut punch here. Addison, of course, reveals that Hannah's husband has a terminal illness. And one that could be prevented if they knew about it right now. A ruptured aortic aneurysm. Nate, I gotta tell you. The two ways I fear dying the most... Three ways I fear dying the most. Sharks. (laughs) Sharks would be number one. Four ways I... No. (laughs) Sharks. Sharks. Deep vein thrombrosis. Wait, come again? Deep vein thrombrosis. Which is that thing that you get if you fly too much or you sit down too much and blood clots form in your knees. Yikes. Yeah, that that sounds pretty awful. It it happened to that kid who just played Halo for like a billion hours. (laughs) And the other one is aneurysm. What a terrible way to go. So uh, Josh dies in 18 months from a ruptured aortic aneurysm. Yeah. Yeah. Addison, again, I said her eyes do a lot of selling in this episode. She's going through the register at the end. Elena rats out the arms dealer boss. Kevin moves to South America but donates most of his money. He and Josh set up a scholarship for their school, and then her look sours. And I said, what's that look for, Addison? And she reveals that Josh dies in in 18 months. Right. And Ben, of course, I've got to tell Hannah. Right. Because it's preventable. If they knew about it, it'd be preventable. And as he turns back towards the house, that's when he leaps. Whew. Yeah. God, fate, or time pulls him out of that situation. I refuse to call it the accelerator, folks. No, we're not doing that. We're not calling it the accelerator. Yeah, we don't do that here. What a rough way to go. And Addison is kind of left there, standing post-leap. And you can tell how bad she feels. Yeah. Okay, so... Addison shows up and says, oh, Ben, that guy in there who's like raw dogging your girlfriend, dead in 18 months, baby. (laughs) Like, Ben is like, I gotta stop this. And then when he can't, Addison's sad too, even though it technically complicates her life more. (laughs) So it's like, this is what happens when people just genuinely fucking care about each other. (laughs) Yeah, and when there are like impossibly good people. Yes. Ben is an impossibly good person. (laughs) In the same way Sam Beckett is an impossibly good person. 
One little part of that, though, is that Ben finishes his leap out and Addison is still in that time frame. Yeah, that's the thing. And then she kind of responds to it. She's like, oh, Ben, you know, it's unique. I can't remember that happening before. Not on this show. Yeah. It happened on the original series. Yeah, we we lingered a couple of... We lingered on... uh, Well, it was a leap for Lisa. When Sam leaped and Al was dancing with Lisa and you saw the sort of surge from behind Al and then when it dissipated, Al was gone and Lisa was there alone dancing in the room, right? Yeah. That was one time I, I remember us being somewhere after he leapt. But what was the time, are you thinking of a time where Al was still in the imaging chamber after Sam leapt? I can't remember any specific moment, but I know that they've had Al remain in the time period that Sam was in after Sam was gone, for at least for a minute. Maybe I'm just remembering that Al will go in there and just kind of walk around all over the place anywhere he wants to go. Like, he doesn't have to be around Sam to see everything. We were joking in season one how Ben always looks for a bathroom. Right. Which I thought he was going to do in this one, too, but I think Addison didn't show up in that bathroom. Uh, He actually uncuffed Kevin and then stepped out of the bathroom to talk to Addison. But I think in the original series, Al would pop in and be like, Hey, where's the nearest girl's locker room? Right, right. And that's where he would go. Hey, Sam, Sam, come over here. Let's talk in here. (laughs) But they used to be able to do things like, Gushy, center me on Sam. Right. Gushy, center me on Lisa. He did not have to be around Sam to see. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The world at that time, which I've always thought was kind of strange. You're supposed to be linked to his neurons and mesons or what have you, but... You could just sort of he go wherever. He actually have to be in the proximity of Sam. He's basically just a time machine for him to walk around in that time period anywhere he wants. You know? Which I found, you know... It, it's just an extremely accurate holodeck. Yeah, exactly. I keep waiting for the same kind of thing with Addison, where they would control where she was. Like, she would be away from Ben uh-huh. and say, center me on Hannah or something like that. But they find, haven't done that yet. To find we'll someone. see if they ever get there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point. But nevertheless, like I said, one door shuts, but it opens a window. With the husband passing away in 18 months, we know that he's basically just kind of a placeholder in her life. It's a moment. Yeah, they all are. They're all just moments. Hannah and Ben's last interaction in this episode. Of course, we've seen them embrace and passionately kiss as he leaps out. She brings him a jacket, says it's cold out there. He says you have a lovely home, which is just yeah, so full of subtext. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, it's code for code for just congratulations on your life. And she says, "Come back anytime." And I'm sure he will. If not next week, then very yeah, soon. Yeah, but all of that is a goodbye to this relationship. Yeah, in a sense. Yes, you know, like you really believe it's coming to that, terms. Yeah, they're coming to terms with the facts. It's just endlessly fascinating what they can do with her life continuing. As much as we wanted to see them meet out of sequence and how fascinated we thought we'd be by that, they've really made it interesting to see her life progress the way it has. Yes. Even though it's proceeding linearly, her life is changing enough in the time that he's away from her. Different person every time he comes to see her. It's interesting to see somebody's life play out like that, to just keep revisiting with someone. It's becoming a situation like 
when you have a friend and a decade passes and you don't see them and then they pop back into your life. It's that sort of thing. And I think it's, it's something that we are intrinsically drawn to because right. everybody can identify with this situation in some degree. Yeah. And they have to take it from so many different perspectives because for Ben, he just seen her yesterday, <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. And for her, He's an old flame. Yeah. This is the one that got away or the one from nine years ago, the guy that I was really in love with. Two years later, I meet Josh. We have a child. My life moves on. And then here he comes riding back into my life again in a Mustang. Oh, well, not in a Mustang. They walked up bloodied. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Mustang was toast at that point. Yeah, toast. I'm also bummed by the end of this episode because I like Josh. I especially like Josh with That's Kevin. That's fair, yeah. Like, Josh yeah. and Kevin are great. I didn't mention the one other line from Kevin that I really loved while they were in the basement. Ben is trying to convince, you know, you put on this front, but you obviously love your brother. And Kevin's reaction is, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Like, even now, when the threat of death looms over the house, he's like, well, do I? Yeah. And of right. course he does. But they are so great. It's a great brotherly relationship that these two share. And For that sure. just makes the knife a little bit sharper, knowing that Josh dies. So it, it hurts from multiple angles. Yeah. I'm amazed yeah. by how well this episode just makes you feel. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's like a it's a roller coaster of emotion. All the feels, as they man. say. Yeah, all the, all feels. the highs, the I lows. Think, I don't think kids say that anymore. No. I think it's, uh, what is it? Hannah's got Riz? Is that a thing? Maybe Ben's got Riz. Someone hears. In this case, he's the one with Riz. Does Ke does Kevin have Riz? I feel like Kevin has Riz. Kevin, you know, <laughs> if you have to ask, you don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think either of us. Uh, but the one thing I will say about this episode, and as far as this show is concerned, it's kind of a master class in writing. But it wouldn't be an episode of our podcast if we didn't have at least one critique here. And I do feel like the reason for his leap gets really muddied by the resolution of the Hannah Ben arc for this episode. Mm, okay. It kind of switches gears, like I said, and I really do feel like it becomes about those two for the final act. And you become so focused on what's happening between the two of them and suddenly beating the bad guys with their sciency trick you know science bitch <laughs> <laughs> but uh at the end of the day what was he there to do it gets a little muddy is his leap really just to capture the bad guys was it to reconcile these two brothers before one of them dies was yeah, it I think to that's get it. Kevin out from under the mob and let him go? Was it to turn this guy's life around so that he wasn't such a cheat? Yeah, I think it's Kevin's like, redemption arc. Ben makes a comment to Addison. There's got to be something redeemable about this guy. Right. Right. And I think that is the mission of the leap. What is redeemable about Kevin? Well, we discover what's redeemable about him and we discover why we like him and what some of his motivations actually already are. So what Ben but was ben there to do... Ben doesn't do anything to what change ben, that. What Ben was there to do was continuously fall on that goddamn shoulder. <laughs> because otherwise, they wouldn't have ended up at his brother's house. 
right? That's the reason they go to his brother's house. Yeah. That's, that's what allows them to succeed in the leap. And at that point, it does become a, all right, now to get out of the woods, we have to get away from the bad guys. We got to home alone the wet bandits. But see, I'm still unclear. Was it because they need to reconcile because the one brother's going to pass a little over a year? I guess you could, Or yeah. is it to get Kevin out from under the thumb of the bad guys so that he can change his life around? Because they don't really do that. He steals a car. You don't get the sense that he's learned any lessons. Instead, you get the sense that, oh, well, he was always a good guy after all, huh? But he's still going to be who he is. <laughs> right. But that's what I mean. Like, the redeemable things about Kevin were already there. Mm-hmm. Okay. We basically just learn about them, and he doesn't really change anything about himself. So he doesn't necessarily learn anything that he probably didn't already know. There's no moment where he's kind of like, ah, I should really turn over a new leaf. I mean, he got out from under a bad situation, but is he going to change? I never got that indication. Is he more comfortable admitting that most of his lookout for number one radical selfishness yeah. is just him putting up a front? I feel like that starts to melt away. That facade goes away by the end. There is some of that, but also... The cockiness never does. The cockiness never does, but I guess the other side of it is also emphasized, though, in that radical selfishness, there might be something to that. There might be a little something to that. So it's like wonderfully working both ways, but that also kind of squashes the idea that anybody's turning over a leaf or changing at the end of this. Maybe it's just about finding temperance, you know, meeting in the middle. Maybe you can't just be radically selfish. Right. And you can't just be... There's a balance You have there. to find the middle ground. To looking out for yourself while also not being... Like, Ben and Kevin are ultimately coming to this from opposite sides and kind of meeting in the middle. Right, and that's for Ben, not for Nick. So it's a he's leap not for doing Ben. Any... Yeah, he's not doing anything for Nick. He doesn't ultimately really do anything for Kevin. He definitely doesn't do anything for Josh. Yeah. <laughs> right? So there's a lot of things you can point to to say, okay, well, this situation resolved itself well. But what was Ben really there to do or change? Like every Sam episode in the original series was like, here's your goal. Accomplish this goal. Or here's your goal. And then by the end, oh, it was really this. But at the end of the episode, it was always really clear what needed to change, and how that change occurred. Yeah, there was something very specific. And, th and there this is, is nothing very, very nebulous. But I feel like a lot of these leaps are like that. Yeah, this show you know? is, it's not cut and dry. A lot of times you're just sort of like, now what? <laughs> like, like even the witch episode, he could have just gone down the road. <laughs> right, yeah. Get past that sign and you leap, or, you know, turn back to the city and fix everything in order to leap instead of just this one moment. And I'm not, this is not a criticism of the way they've decided to present their show. It is a little bit to this episode. I would like to know what it was that he was really there to do because it really does seem a little muddy. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately it's also not the point because you get this again, great interaction and relationship moving forward with Hannah on the tail end of what 
felt like a Smokey and the Bandit 70s racing movie. To see a better title for this episode already. Smokey and the Bandit. Oh. <laughs> I think Off the Cuff is very good. It's it is. a very good title. It is punny. It is great. It's a really good it's, title for this episode. It's a good title. I don't think I could have done better. And easily one of my favorites. Yeah. And might actually be my favorite episode thus far. Wow. Yeah. It's maybe. good. It's very good. I really, good. really like it. And narratively speaking, in a vacuum, it's kind of all over the place, right? Sure. It's this kind of story, and then it's suddenly this kind of story, and then it's this kind of story. And then, oh, whoa, we're way over here. And it's, so it's like kind of all over the place, but in the larger narrative as a serialized story, it blends all of these great new characters with the story that we're all tuning in to see. Yes. In a way that's just wonderful. It's like the antithesis of the evil microchip boss character that's just kind of nobody's tuning in to see that his, shit. His name's Jeffrey <laughs> Nally, okay? His name is Jeffrey Nally. I really believe it is. I think <laughs> we'll that's see. probably right. We'll see. And if it is, you know what? Okay, good for them. Even that would be very interesting and you know you have to do something with the jeffrey character absolutely like, if it's not that it's gotta be something absolutely unless we see hannah again in 12 more years and he's was killed in the military <laughs> oh god <laughs> you know? oh no yeah you know what i mean not. like it could be anything the way that her life turned out over those nine years it's not anything that we were expecting and yeah. think back to your life nine years ago. Did you think you'd be where you are today? No. Like, well, certainly I wouldn't. Yeah. People's lives change. I like how they're showing her age as well. Yeah. A little padding here, wearing her hair a little different, trying to age her up a little bit without putting on old person makeup, you know. Well, let's um, see. Are we... <laughs> Next week, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. we got to be getting close to some heavy prosthetics here, right? I bet she's not in next week's episode. they got to give it a rest of, just for a minute, right? I would think so. And again, I think that next week's episode takes place before, I think it's like 1950 or something. So I do think it's dipping back a little bit. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun to see if they do it out of order. Maybe Ben looks yeah. her up and sees her, but can't do anything about it, because he knows uh, she. I can't muck with the time stream any more than i already have maybe I don't well know. no that's his whole thing is mucking with the time stream <laughs> that's what they do not as much as it relates to him though you know so that's if, fair if it would impact but if he did see her meeting with her so if he does see her though in the past he can warn her of josh's impending medical condition oh that's true so that can't happen or it can i don't know we'll see i do think it's just going to be linear meetings between the two of them I don't hate that like I probably would have before the Traveler's Wife, but <laughs> it still would be fun to see them try and tackle something out of sequence. Yeah. But they're very clearly trying to accomplish something specific. Or it sure feels like that right yeah. now. So I'll let them tell the story. Yeah. Well, folks, thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to the feed here wherever you get your podcast, so you never miss an episode. And be sure to review the show and tell all your Quantum Leap buddies about it. Write NBC, guys. And not your local NBC affiliates. They have no power over this. <laughs> Write the head boss, Kenneth Parcell. 
at 30 Rockefeller Center and tell them, yeah. save this show or go do- to hell. <laughs> I was going to say, do these things ever actually work? I think they do. Has hey, a look. Re- when has a write-in campaign ever really worked? I've got two words for you, Nate. Ugly Sonic. You know Sonic the Hedgehog? That's true. That's true. <laughs> but that was more like... We did it, guys. We did it. Not only did we do it, we also got a really, really funny Rescue Rangers movie out of that. Those are all true things, but they're also motivated by anger. <laughs> That's true. That's so, true. So, you're never gonna... Only your hatred can destroy NBC. So make sure you make those letters sternly worded. Yeah, yeah. I would hate to see the show go, though. So oh, yeah, anything we can to. do, you know, make yeah. your voice heard for sure. This show, as it exists right now, does not deserve cancellation. So let's try to save it, folks. Uh, where else can you listen to us? Oh, yeah, YouTube in an audio format. You can like, comment, and subscribe there. If you would like to write flowery letters to us, you can email us at <laughs> oboyqlpod at gmail.com. Don't forget also that we are posting in the message boards at quantumleap-alsplace.com. Go over there to that website and join the conversation about this episode and others. And you can follow our links there and reach out to us if you so choose. If you dare. (laughs) If you so choose. We're also on social media, folks. I'm Captain Burn, C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N on Blue Sky. Brian.Lee.Martin on Instagram. And threads. That's the one. Threads. <laughs> and I am at Action Nate on both Blue Sky and Threads. And we will be back next week for another episode. Did we get a leap out? We didn't. No, we didn't. So we got no idea. We got no idea. My understanding is that it is the 1950s. I think it's the 1950s. Okay. There was a well, photo on, again, the subreddit where I lurk often that showed the progression of costume designs for ben this season interesting so all of the ones we've seen were there and then several of ones we had not seen yet are there i think it's going to be a at the very least before 1970 episode all right i don't think it's going to be like an 1870 episode or anything i think it's still (laughs) i think we're still firmly in the 20th century but we will see we'll find out next week until then folks i'm brian and i'm nate and we'll be here in the waiting room.